Thanks, Gunnar. Wow, this is really loud. Good morning, my name's Joe Agnell. Um, I'm not a pastor. I'm an aircraft mechanic. So if I deviate from Ezra chapter 3, which is where we'll be this morning, and start talking about airplanes, that's why you'll have to excuse me. Um, this is the third Sunday in January. So we're two weeks into the new year. Um, Happy New Year. I want to talk about New Year's resolutions. And transitions provide a time for change. Um, there was, someone was saying you need to move houses every five years because otherwise you accumulate too much stuff. So if you move houses, then it gives you opportunity to get rid of everything that you had packed in the box from last time you moved and you never unpacked it. And well, if you never unpacked it, then obviously you don't need it, right? But often we will use change um, or transition to implement change in our lives. And so here in the U.S., we have a tradition of New Year's resolutions. So I think we're close enough to New Year's. I can still talk about New Year's resolutions and um, how we use that to spur changes in our lives for something that we want, might want to do. So, for example, maybe I want to spend more time reading my Bible. So I make a New Year's resolution that starting in 2022, I'm going to spend two hours every morning. I'm a morning person, so mornings are good. Um, reading my Bible before I start the day. I didn't make that resolution, but I'm just using that as an example, and I'll come back to that. But in the U.S., people set resolutions for all kinds of things. Um, losing weight, you want to save money, better time management, learning a new language, where's Gunner? <laughs> Continuing to learn a new language, maybe. Trying to get a better job. Um, learning a new job or a skill. Lots of different things that you could put in that category. And so they use the new year as impetus to push this change forward. So I like to try and get people involved. Like I said, I'm not a pastor. I'm an aircraft mechanic, so I like to use my hands. So by a show of hands, how many people here made a New Year's resolution this year? If you made a resolution, raise, up, raise your hand. Uh, just a couple, but this is also a Baptist church. I looked around during the singing, and I saw one hand and then one person going like this. So I know, raising your hand, it's, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable. Since not very many people raise their hands, how many people have broken their resolution already? We're two weeks into the new year. I have just as many hands up, just about. Don't raise your hands. So a recent study in the U.S. showed that by February, 80% of people had already broken their resolution. So they make a resolution, four weeks into it, four people out of five have already broken their resolution. They've already deviated from what they said they were going to do. So, according to one study, the very bottom there, you see 32% of people said that they weren't even going to make a New Year's resolution. And so I think people recognize, I was like, 
why even bother making a resolution if I'm just going to break it in a week or two weeks' time anyways. So what's that have to do with the Bible and Ezra? As believers, we need to take advantage of new beginnings to make positive change in our lives, to make our lives more Christ-like, to model our lives more after Christ. And the Bible is full of examples of people making changes in their lives where they left something behind and they look forward to something new. And so that's the story that I want to tell you from Ezra chapter 3 this morning. Um, Turn to Ezra with me. It's in the Old Testament. If you don't have your Bibles, please turn there on your phone. Um, We're also going to put the verses up on the screen. But it's better if you follow along. Um, During the time of the kings, the Israelites continued to disobey God and sin, usually idolatry. And so often it's so easy, at least for me, to look at, to read through the history of Israel. And it's like, what are you guys doing? Why? Why are you following after these false idols? And then I look at my own life and it's like, well, I'm not worshiping an idol that I've set up on my mantle above the fireplace but I've set something else up in my life. Um, Idolatry is still a sin that um, mankind struggles with, that I still struggle with. But because of their sin, God allowed them to be taken into captivity. First, um, Israel, the ten tribes, were taken into captivity by the Assyrians in 722. And then Judah by the Babylonians in 605. So if you look at that timeline behind me, the start of that red line is 605 when Judah was taken into captivity by Babylon. And God prophesied through the prophet Jeremiah that he was going to put him in captivity for 70 years. So after 70 years, King Cyrus allowed and even encouraged the Jews to return to Jerusalem in 536 BC, exactly 70 years after they were put into captivity, just like God had prophesied. It's amazing. During their time in Babylon, there was no sacrifice and there was no temple. They were really at a spiritual low. And that's where we kind of pick up the story. I'm going to read a couple verses from Ezra 1 because it introduces that. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he set a proclamation through all his kingdom, and he also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you, all of his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor at whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a freewill offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. So that's the introduction. Then for the sake of time, we'll turn over to Ezra chapter 3 and start reading at verse 1. Now when the seven month came, the sons of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. So Cyrus made this proclamation. He said, if you're Jewish, if you want to return to Israel, 
you can return to Israel. So 50,000 people picked up and they moved to Israel. And Cyrus also said, if you can support them, if you can give monetarily, give them gold, give them silver. If you don't have gold or silver, give them cattle, give them food. We see that in uh, chapter 1. What we don't see in chapter 2 is another offering was also taken um, where people gave to um, help with the cost of the temple. So that's where we pick up. Um, the rebuilding of the temple. So that's where we pick up in Ezra chapter 3, where people, 50,000 people have left, and they've returned to Jerusalem, and this is what they're doing. Verse 2 of Ezra 3, Then Jeshua, the son of Jozak, and his brothers, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and his brothers arose, and they built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they set up on the altar its foundation, for they were terrified because of the people of the land, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and even evening. They celebrated the feasts of the booths, as it is written, and offered the fixed number of the burnt offerings daily, according to the ordinance, as each day required. And afterward, there was a continual burnt offering, and also for the new moons and for all the fixed festivals of the Lord that were consecrated, and from everyone who offered a freewill offering to the Lord. For the, from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyranians to bring cedar wood from Lebanon to the sea at Joppa, according to the permission they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Verse 8. Now in the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and the rest of their brothers and priests and Levites, and all who came from the captivity of Jerusalem, began to work and appointed the Levites from 20 years older to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua, with his sons and brothers, stood united with Kadimiel and his sons, the sons of Judah and the sons of Henadad and their sons and their brothers, the Levites, to oversee the workmen in the temple of God. Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. They sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. I don't think they were Baptists. I think they were waving their hands in the air. Verse 12, yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' households and old men who had seen the first temple, that was the temple built by Solomon, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. So as we consider this new year, I want to consider, I want to look at four points from this passage. And the first is we don't need to start a new year to start change in our lives. We often use the new year because it brings it to mind, makes us think about it, but we don't have to wait to the new year 
We can start fresh with God anytime. We can make changes in our lives at any time. In Ezra chapter 1, we read that God used a new ruler. Think about that, Cyrus, a pagan king, king of Persia. So that's a different new beginning, isn't it? Um, we look in Book of Daniel to find out about that, how the Babylonians transitioned to the Medes and the Persians. Um, to fulfill his prophecy by Jeremiah, we find that in Jeremiah 29 and chapter Jeremiah 25, that God would restore Israel and return his people to the land. Spiritually, the people are still in captivity. The nation of Israel couldn't be worse. But God uses a pagan king to bring them to a new beginning. So 50,000 Israelites, they respond to God's call to start over, to start new, to start afresh. Think for a moment what it would mean for 50,000 people to leave behind their homes, what they've become familiar with, their security, maybe even a comfortable life. We look at the story of Esther and we see that the Jews were prospering in their captivity. Even though they are in captivity, they weren't in their own land, they were prospering. But 50,000 responded to God's call to return to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. They had to risk a perilous journey across a dangerous desert to, to return to a land destroyed by war. So they're not returning to a, the homes that they left, that their grandfathers had left 70 years ago. They're returning to a desolate wasteland. That's how Jeremiah describes it in Jeremiah 25.11. But God still promised to bring them a new beginning. Consider David's new beginning after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then David exclaimed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied to David, yes, and the Lord has forgiven your sin. You are not going to die. So that's all it took was for David to confess his sin and it restored his relationship with God and he started fresh with God right there. The story of Jonah, God tells Jonah go to Nineveh and to preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah says, no way, God, I'm going down to Joppa and I'm getting on a ship and I'm going the opposite direction. Gets thrown over, sea, over the board, gets swallowed by a big fish, spit up on the ground. And then his second chance in Jonah 3, the Lord's message came to Jonah a second time. He had a new beginning, he had a second chance. God didn't write him off as soon as he messed up, as soon as he made a mistake. In the New Testament, <clears throat> we have the story of Peter. Peter tells Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus responds and says, before the rooster crows three times, you're, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, no way, Lord, not me. What's Peter do? He denies his Lord three times. But then in John 21, Jesus says a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus replied, feed my sheep. Peter had a second chance. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. 
So regardless of how hard things are, regardless of where we find ourselves in life, regardless of what circumstance we're going through, whether it's recovering from surgery for cancer, whether it's COVID, whether it's moving to the other side of the United States, we can always start fresh with God. We don't have to wait for the new year. We don't have to wait for some special time. Christ is always longing to start a new beginning with us, and his burden is light. Regardless of what we've done, how we've fallen, how we've sinned, God is always ready to start fresh with us. My second point is that for our new beginnings, for resolutions to be successful, they have to start with Christ. So many, many New Year's resolutions broken within the first month, within the first four weeks. I wouldn't term that successful. So in our Christian walk, if we want our resolutions to be more like Christ, if we want those to be successful, they have to start with Christ. Turn back to Ezra with me. In Ezra chapter two, verse, chapter 3, verse 2, says, Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. So they get back to Jerusalem, and the very first thing that they do is they build an altar. Why the altar? Or what is the altar? This is a, a picture of the temple. And you can see the altar there in front. The altar is where sacrifices are made, were made, where blood was shed. In New Testament terminology, the altar represents the cross and by connection, Christ. Now, I don't want to stress this representation too much. I think it breaks down if we try and push it too hard. But in perspective, the priests we're looking forward to Christ's single perfect sacrifice that was yet to come when they were making offerings on this altar. We get that from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 9. But by starting with the altar, by rebuilding the altar first and restarting the sacrificial system, we read that in chapter 3, they started the sacrifice, they offered a daily sacrifice, they were observing all of the feasts, they were observing everything that Moses had told them to do, They're recognizing their need for a savior. And so maybe I'm putting that in New New Testament terminology, but they are recognizing that they were separated from God. So that's what our savior Jesus does, right? He bridges that gap between sinful man and a perfect God. So by obeying what God had told them to do, by offering these blood sacrifices, they're recognizing that they're separated from God and they need to obey God in faith to have fellowship with him. So again, to put it in New New Testament terminology, they needed Jesus in their start in this new land. This is consistent throughout scripture. We see this over and over. After the flood, Noah left the ark. He started a new life. What did he do? He built an altar and offered a sacrifice to God, Genesis 8. In Genesis 28, Jacob is returning back 
um, to the land of his father. And he has a dream and he wrestles with Jesus all night. And he can't prevail. And Jesus doesn't prevail. And finally, as the sun is coming up, Jesus touches his hip and um, cripples him. And Jacob says, bless me before you leave. Jesus blesses him. Pre-incarnate Christ blesses him. And then what's Jacob do after that? He sets up an altar and commits a tenth of all he had to be given to God. Genesis 28. In Acts 16, look at a New Testament example. The Philippian jailer, he's heard about these crazy people, Paul and Silas, and they're preaching, and then he throws them in his prison, or he's told to throw them in his prison. Paul and Silas, they're singing. At midnight, there's an earthquake, and all of the doors swing open, and the jailer's distraught. It's like, everyone's escaped. My life is forfeit. And before he can harm himself, Paul says, stop, everyone's here, no one's escaped. And he says, what do I, must, what do I have to do to be saved? And what's Paul say? What did he have to do? What did his new beginning start with? What was the foundation of that new beginning? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, you and your household. So his new beginning started with Christ. The most important new beginning in the Bible is described in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night. He's one of the Pharisees. He's one of the religious leaders. He doesn't want anyone else to know. And he's asking Jesus questions. And did Jesus really answer his questions? Not really. If you go back and you read John chapter 3, Jesus doesn't really answer his questions. He says, you're a teacher of the law and you don't know this? And then he tells him, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus, he's confused. He's like, how, do, how am I born again? How can I enter my mother's womb a second time and be born again? But Jesus isn't talking about spiritual or physical birth. He's talking about spiritual birth. He's talking about starting that relationship with Jesus. If you haven't given your life to Christ, if you haven't started that new relationship with Jesus, then talk with me afterwards. Talk with Pastor Gunnar afterwards. I'd love to tell you more about how Christ died for you, how he loved you, so that you could have a new beginning with God. So all successful new beginnings must start with Christ. My third point is that new beginnings must be in obedience to God's word. Look back at Ezra chapter 3, verse 2 with me. The priests, they recognize their need to start with Christ. They recognize their need to establish the altar. But how did they know that they needed to build an altar and to sacrifice? Do you think that they took a poll of all the 50,000 people that returned to Jerusalem and said, hey, what should we do next? Now we're back in Jerusalem. What should we do? Do you think all the elders got together um, in a meeting and said, well, what do you think we should do? Um, majority rules. Or what do you think their governor, Zerubbabel, what do you think they asked him, Zerubbabel, what do you think we should do? 
or the the skilled laborers. Hey, Raham, Nehemiah thinks we should build an altar. Do you think, do you agree with that? Or maybe they ask the new generation, well, what did you guys do in Persia and in Babylon? So maybe we should do that same thing here in Jerusalem. How did they know what to do? How did they know to build an altar? The priests built an altar in obedience to God's word. In the second half of the verse, it says, after they built it, they built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So there was no question as to what they had to do. There was no question as to what their next step was. They knew what their next step was. God had already told them what to do. All they had to do was obey. So as we consider our habits and our traditions, are they in obedience to God's word? Doing the right thing isn't always easy, though. Notice what it says in verse 3 of Ezra 3. They established the altar on its foundation, because that's what they were supposed to do, even though they were in terror of the local people. So they were in fear of their lives, but they still did what they were supposed to do. The Jews were terrified. We read Nehemiah's account um, of what he went through trying to build the wall around Jerusalem. You see the, the obstacles that they faced. But that didn't stop them from doing what was right. That didn't stop them from being obedient. So my question is, do we have the strength and the fortitude to do what's right, especially as we consider this new year? Remember what Peter said, be sober and be alert. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He's on the prowl looking for someone to devour. So it's not, it's not if, if this is difficult, if this is, um, if this is hard and I'll just kind of coast. If you're just kind of coasting, you have a, an enemy who's actively seeking to devour you, to stop you from doing what's right. So you need to actively seek to do what's right. You need to actively seek to obey, to do what you have to, what you know is right. My fourth and final point is that our new beginnings must focus on Christ and his church and not on ourselves. God and his kingdom have to be the focus of our new beginnings if we want them to be successful. To give you an example, my previous New Year's resolution, I'm going to read my Bible for two hours every morning. That's good, right? I think everyone would agree with that. That's good. Um, it centers on Christ. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if I'm spending time in His Word, then I'm centering. I'm centered in Christ. It's obedience to Scripture. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God. So this is all biblical stuff to spend time reading our word. So what could a possible problem be if I'm spending two hours reading my Bible every morning? Does it build my kingdom or does it build God's kingdom? So this comes down to motivation. Why am I reading God's word every day? I was talking to my son um, the past weeks and talking about reading the Bible, and he said, Dad, it's just 
not exciting, or why isn't it exciting to read God's Word? It's like, well, sometimes it's not exciting, but that doesn't mean that we do things only because they're exciting or they entertain us. But back to my example, am I reading God's Word because I want to glorify God, I want to learn more about Him, I want to deepen my relationship with Him? Or am I reading His Word so I can tell my friends, hey, guess what I did this morning? I got up and spent two hours in His Word. Oh, man. Pat myself on the back for that one. Sorry, it's an obvious example, but I'm an aircraft mechanic, not a preacher. So I have to go with the obvious. In Ezra, the priest built the altar and sacrificed it. But what do we read in verse 6? From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. However, the Lord's temple was not at that time established. The offering and the sacrifices, that was good. That was a good start. But something was still missing. In this chapter, in Ezra chapter 3, we have eight references to the temple in this passage. So what was the temple? There's a picture of it. What is that? Why, why was there a temple in Jerusalem? It was a representation of God's physical dwelling place where God would come and his presence would dwell on this earth, that spot specifically. It was the place where Israelites would come to worship God in a corporate setting. In the New Testament, God's temple is his church. The church is God's people. In Matthew, we're told, for where two or three are assembled in my name, I am there among them. In Ezra, the people could come to the altar and a priest could offer a personal sacrifice for sin. This took a matter of months to get started. It took more than a year to build the temple's foundation, and it took about 20 years to finish rebuilding the temple. This was only accomplished with a lot of hard work, unity, and sacrifice. In verses 1 and 9, we see the Jews coming together, being unified to accomplish the task of rebuilding the temple. In verse 7, we see people sacrificing monetarily to build the temple. This is in addition to what was given in Ezra chapter 1, verse 6, by people who stayed in Babylon, and the freewill offering given in Ezra chapter 2. In Ezra 3, we see people giving of their gifts as well as their money, their gifts and their talent. In verse 10, we see skilled musicians giving their time to lead the congregation in worship. Reading further through Ezra and into Nehemiah, there are countless examples of people working together and sacrificing for the sake of God's kingdom. The Jews of Ezra's time could not build God's kingdom alone. They couldn't do it one-on-one. It was a group effort, and it still took 20 years to do it. Similarly, the Christians of Grace Point Community Church, or Grace Point Church, sorry, cannot build God's kingdom alone either. You can't do it by yourself. And Hebrews were admonished this. And let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess, for the one who made the promise is trustworthy. And let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our meetings as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and even more so because you say, see the day drawing near. In Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, the progression is clear. 
There's a personal commitment to Christ. That's the new beginning in Christ. It followed by corporate encouragement and building up of one another. So in Ezra, we had the personal commitment to return to the land, to establish the sacrifices, to rebuild the temple. And they only could do the rebuild the temple by working together. So as we consider this new year and possible resolutions, we have to ask ourselves, do these, are these resolutions honoring to God or are they only building myself? How does it help those in the community around me that I interact with? Are we being accountable to others or are we living in isolation? There's been a lot of talk in the last two years about isolation and staying away from others, but that's not healthy for a Christian walk and a Christian life. We have spiritual realities that we have to maintain a healthy state as well as our physical realities. Are we humble enough to accept questions from those that God has placed in our lives without offense? Can someone ask us questions about our motivations, about why we're doing something without being offended by that? And are we willing to stand united with our brothers and sisters to build God's church in a hostile world? Just like the the Jews in Ezra, they were surrounded by hostile people who didn't want to see Jerusalem or the temple rebuilt. There's many, Satan and his workers, that don't want to see Christian lives built up. Are we willing to be good stewards of the resources that God's given us and sacrificially give to build his kingdom. So I couldn't come up here and preach without sharing at least one story about Gunner. (laughs) I don't get enough opportunities to share stories about Gunner. And this one fits in really, really well with my message, at least this point. So there's an evolution called log PT that SEAL instructors use to torment their students. So you see here in the picture, I think there's five students there. They're all holding a a telephone pole above their heads. The poles are anywhere from 180 to 220 pounds, it depends um, as you're a student, you go down to the beach and you try and pick out the lightest one first before anyone else gets down there. Um, but you have six or seven people in a boat crew, and all of you are working together with this log. And then, can we get to, go to the next slide? The instructors make you do various activities while carrying this log around, or throwing it up in the air, or holding it above your head, and you see the guy there in the one slide, he's grinning. That was me, always happy, right? I'm not sure if he's grinning in joy or grimacing in pain. But the point is, when you're holding that log above your head, after a couple hours, your shoulders get very tired, your arms get tired, and you want to rest it. And you have a big flat spot right here. And just kind of naturally rest there, and you can just kind of hold your hands on the side. And the instructors will walk down, and they'll tell you to, Get that log up above your head. and Here's the point of the story. You have six or seven people carrying this log. Say you have six people and the log weighs 180 pounds. 
That's 30 pounds. That's manageable. It's not too bad. But what happens when the guy in the middle suddenly stops pushing up on the log and now his arms are just kind of resting on the log? The guy in front of him has to carry more and the guy behind him has to carry more, right? What happens when one of the students can't get that log up off his head So the instructors decide to make an example of him, and so they make him go do something else. I was that student once, and Gunnar was that instructor once. He said, Wagnell, go to the surf and get a mouthful of seawater and come back and spit it out on the ground in front of me. And I don't know if you've ever tried to run with water in your mouth before, it's difficult. So I ran down to the water, and so now my boat crew is holding up this log without me. And I come back, and I spit a pitiful amount of water on the sand in front of Gunner. And Gunner's like, that's not good enough. Drop and give me, I don't know, 10 push-ups, 20 push-ups, whatever it was. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, my boat crew is now holding that log by themselves without me. So now if it was six of us, there's only five. And then if out of those five, if two of them are slacking, well, now there's only three people holding that log. So if the whole boat crew works together and works in unity, then they can carry that log around, they can complete the evolutions, they can do what the instructors ask them to do. But as soon as people start dropping off and stop participating, stop Um, helping each other, stop acting in unity, then the task becomes impossible. It's impossible to carry that log around with just a couple people for hours at a time. So how do I apply that? What, What am I trying to say here? If you're just coming to church and you're just kind of coasting through the service, I came to church this morning I listen to a message. Now I can go home and live the way I want. How are you helping the other believers here at this church? How are you helping the believers here at Grace Point? How are you helping the community at Valley Center? So God hasn't called us to come and coast through life. God has called us to come and be a light to the world. So how are we going to work together to build up God's temple in this New Testament age, the body of Christ. So in conclusion, as we looked at Ezra chapter 3, new beginnings are always possible with God, but they have to start with Christ. We have to follow Christ in obedience. We know what we have to do, so it's a matter of just doing it. And they have to build upon God's community, otherwise we're just spinning our wheels So do you need a new start with God as we start this new year, as we look forward into 2022? Did you make a New Year's resolution? Does it build God's kingdom or does it build your own kingdom? Is it in obedience to God's word? Do you need to make some changes in your life? Consider the following questions. How involved are you at Grace Point within the Grace Point community? Are you involved in being mentored or mentoring someone? Do you have a gift or a skill? 
I would wager everyone, every single individual here has a gift or a skill that they could use in service in this church. Are you giving sacrificially of the resources that God has committed to you? What are you doing to improve your personal time with God, whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening? How could you encourage someone else, maybe someone else who's struggling? How could you come along and lift them up? Their arms are tired of holding that log. How are you going to come up next to them and hold, help hold that log up with them? Or are you possibly struggling with an addiction or a sin? Who could you talk to to get help? I don't know the specifics of your life. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. But there's a lot of other questions that could be asked. So as you reflect, please remember the example that we have from Ezra chapter 3 about new beginnings are always possible with God, but they need to be founded on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that it contains. As we consider this new year, Lord, I pray that we would allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to mold us and deform us and transform us into the Christ-like image that you've designed, desired um, before the foundation of this world for us to become. Pray that we would be an encouragement to those around us, that we would be a light to the world and this community. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.